All right, fans. Welcome back to Voice of the Fans podcast. This is your man Cam, and I'm joined as always by Mr. Young Sam. How you doing, sir? Doing fantastic this evening, Cam. How are you, I'm well, sir. Thank you for asking. Fans, we make up Voice of the Fans. This is week 71, Cleveland, January January 15th. 2020, boy, can you believe it's 2020? My goodness. And it is, yeah, once again, it is week 71. I want to shout out to our listeners on Rise Radio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, Radio Public, however you listen to the podcast, however you choose to listen, thank you for making time to listen to Voice of the Fans. We We certainly appreciate it. In this segment, or in this episode, we're going to talk about the recap of a great weekend of football, division play, divisional playoffs. We're going to talk about that, talk about the surprises, the updates. We're going to talk about the Hall of Fame inductees a little bit. Also going to recap me beating down Cleveland in, the, in our standings, per usual. We're going to have a little uh, NBA conversation. And then also we're going to talk about on this date in history. So, Mr. Cleveland, you ready? Ready to go. Fans, get comfortable. And we're going to do this. As always, Cleveland, we want to start with our numbers. Who wore it best? It is January 15th, as I mentioned. When you think of the number 15, who, whose name first comes to my mind or your mind? And then who do you think wore that number best? Uh, although he doesn't wear the number anymore, the first person that I can think of when I think of number 15 is uh, Carmelo Anthony. Oh, boy. <laughs> one, one of the pure uh, scorers of games ever known. Oh, my goodness gracious. Are you kidding me? National champion at Syracuse. Um, perennial all-star at Denver. Uh, three-time Olympic champion. Yeah, Carmelo Anthony. Oh, my goodness. So you never heard of Earl, Earl Pearl Monroe. Is that what you're going to tell me? Well, it was a two-part question, Cam. You didn't let me get to the second part. The first part was who comes to mind first. The next part was who wore it best. Obviously, Earl Pearl Monroe wore the number much better. Uh, the last person to win a championship in the guard. So, of course, it would be Pearl. I mean, I don't even know how Carmelo comes out of your mind. But, okay, he did wear the 15. I, I, I grant you that. Um I mean, I'm sure you haven't heard of Bart Starr. That might be a little bit before your time. Or Anthony Allen, when he was a Husky, that might be a little bit before your time as well, huh? Both of those times are a tad bit before my time, and they don't readily come to mind. Uh, Bart obviously wore the wore the 15 quite well. Um, let's, let's not let's not kid ourselves. You know, uh, two-time Super Bowl champion back-to-back, so obviously can't take anything away from him as well. So somebody that just came in my mind, actually, and, you know, we throw out a couple of numbers just to make it interesting, a couple of guys just to make it interesting. Didn't Super Bowl champion Jeff Hostetler wear number 15, if I'm not mistaken, for the New York Giants? Oh, he sure did. I mean, if you're if you're really scratching into the, the cerebral parts of your brain, yeah. I mean, yeah. You got to do a lot of digging to get to that, but, yes, he did. Super Bowl champion. You know, he has – when they call you to step up out the bullpen and you perform, you got to get some credit for that, right? That is heroic. 
thank thank goodness he had that uh, stellar defense to to help him through it. But yes, he did do that. Yes, certainly, that that helps. <laughs> that that assists the process. That does. Yes, I agree with you. And so, when you think of number seventy-one, with it being week seventy-one, who comes to your mind, sir? First uh, person that comes to my mind is that uh, perennial pro bowler for the Seattle Seahawks and Hall of Famer, Walter Jones. Um, he was just the anchor of that incredible offensive line, um, played in the Super Bowl uh, next to Steve Hutchinson, uh, running, you know, blocked for Sean Alexander is the first person that comes to mind. And then the second guy is that guy that played uh, in Washington with uh, Dexter Manley, a guy named Charles Mann. He was a oh, man. man. He, was def- he was definitely a, a, a terror on that defensive end. Charles Mann is a good one. Charles Mann is a good one. And I, I'm going to go uh, 71 to come and testify, but uh, outside of Walter Jones, Charles Mann was a good call there. We'll go with the uh, Chargers product, Damian Square. Become a good friend of mine, if you will, and do a lot of smack talking in the Chargers locker room. So I'm going to go with D Square at the somebody who comes to my mind first. And then Alex Kara. I don't know if you saw him play, but you probably remember him most from the old school show Webster, where he was uh, the guy, the family, the father of the family who actually adopted Webster and you know, brought him to, to the big screen, if you will. So that's one of the guys who actually come on my mind. I don't know. You remember Webster or that a little before you, sir? No, I, I do remember the show. And, uh, you know, as I think back on it, wow, what a premise of a, of a <laughs> television show to have. So, yeah, I do remember it. Alex Kerr is uh, famous for that. Um, also for the, uh, the gambling scandal back in the day, himself and Paul Horning. But, uh, yeah, I do remember Alex Karras. There you go. All right. Cleveland, we had, a, as I mentioned, a fantastic weekend of football. I'm not sure which weekend of football is better. And I, maybe I'll pose that question to you and the fans out there. Fans, always chime in. Let us know. We had some fans trickling in with their feedback later um, in the last couple of weeks. Fans, you can find me on Twitter, What's good in sports? A letter in sport, no S at the end. Cleveland, where can they find you? They can find me uh, at Cleve Wonder on Twitter and Cleveland still on Instagram. Voice of the fans, on, voice of the fans on Instagram for me, and then you guys will also see some of my um, recent interviews I've been able to conduct here lately. Some good ones out there. I think you'll appreciate. But fans, is a better weekend of football for you? the divisional playoff games or the conference championships where we have coming up this weekend. Uh, this past weekend, we get Saturday and Sunday two great football games. Two competitive teams, well, four, excuse me, four competitive teams on, on each day. And then this week, obviously, we have four teams competing for the Super Bowl berth. Cleveland, what's the most competitive weekend for you or which weekend do you enjoy most? You know, I think I definitely enjoy the uh, the, the divisional playoff weekend more. Um, like you said, there are more games, um, and there seems to be a little bit more of a, of an upset factor. You know, once you kind of get to the championship game, you're kind of, you know, you know, like one step away from the Super Bowl. So, um, you know, the mystery and the intrigue isn't quite the same as, you know, the divisional where, you know, they're still kind of up for grabs, so to speak. Okay, and I, I like the Saturday and Sunday. You got two great games, essentially. Um, 
you know, high-level, high-competitive, high-skilled games, and you get to see some really good football at, football at its finest in those games. This coming Sunday is not bad, nothing to complain about. It's just not a Saturday and Sunday. You just will get one day of football. So what else can I say, man? Derek Henry, we, we rattled off his stats last week. Him with Ryan Tannehill under center, I mean, he allows Ryan Tannehill to have less than 200 yards passing in two playoff games. That's how productive Derrick Henry has been. And he kind of uh, – I know you saw the video of his stiff arm. Was it a stiff arm? Was it a push, pushing the back? I don't know what Earl Thomas was doing out there. Did he just not want to absorb the contact? I'm not sure how you classify that, but – I know you saw Dick Henry rumbling, bumbling, and picking up more yardage just with his brute size and force against the uh, Baltimore Ravens. Tell me how you think that went, that game went. I was surprised. I was surprised the Titans looked as good as they did. I was surprised that uh, the Ravens weren't ready for that game, but then that's three weeks off. They rest them. Um, they rested them in week 17. They didn't play, obviously, in the wild card round. And then they came into that playoff game kind of not in rhythm. And with the players, with the receivers missing passes early, that gave the Titans a chance to jump on them early. And once they jumped on them early, then that had just allowed Derrick Henry just to rumble down the field as he did for 190-plus yards. Your thoughts on the Titans, um surprise victory over the Baltimore Ravens? Uh, sure. Well, when the Titans went up to New England, I expected them to be more physical than the New England Patriots when they won that game, and I, I actually did predict that. It, you know, want to throw that out there. Um, when they came to the Ravens... Sure, yeah. Just one week, but yeah. But when they played the Ravens, I didn't expect that. Um, that when the Ravens were going for it on fourth and one, it's usually um, kind of, you know, a no-brainer. They're going to get the yard. You know, they're going to get the three feet no matter no matter what. I mean, Lamar Jackson is going to do something to uh, you know to get that yard. But mm-hmm. you know, two times he wasn't able to get it. So I thought that that was um, quite surprising. And in addition, um, I was expecting Mark Ingram to be impactful, and the fact that he was not really healthy enough to be impactful um, definitely changed Baltimore's offense dramatically. Um, I, I believe Lamar Jackson threw the ball almost 60 times, and that's just not a, a recipe for success for the Ravens' offense. So um, I didn't expect Derrick Henry to have the same type of game that he had um, against New England, and he basically mirrored that. So, you know, you do the time of possession, you take advantage of, of turnovers, and then, you know, you just continue to stop them uh, from doing what they want to do. And, you know, the results speak for themselves. So I think the fact that they just couldn't get the yard when they wanted to get the yard that they were used to getting, and then they didn't have uh, the compliment to Lamar Jackson as far as the running game goes and ultimately, you know, led to their demise. So coming up, let's talk about them going up for it on fourth down. A lot of people want to give – throw a lot of shade at – Lamar Jackson for not not picking up the yard. Obviously, him throwing sixty times is not in anyone's game plan. But I don't. Th- I think the receivers dropping balls early in the game impacted the way that game transpired. 
more so than the two interceptions. He threw one interception because that went off a of receiver's hands. That's one of the drop balls I'm talking about. He threw the second interception was late in the third quarter like, when they're trying to make a move. But you know, okay, he throw he throws the interception, the fumble. He should have he should have felt that coming a little bit better. I'll grant you that. However, if those receivers, if he doesn't throw that first interception, and the his tight end catches the ball, that they're in a different scenario because he that happened in the Titans' red zone. Maybe they get some points out of that game, and so they're not scrambling for. Let's just say they get a field goal and they it's seven to three or. 14 to three versus them scrambling around trying to continue to pass and press the press the envelope on fourth down to get some movement. The game changes in that respect. That's what I'm saying. There was multiple drop passes, but obviously that interception was was pretty crucial. And then I think it's you got to look at it's still Lamar Jackson's second year in the game. Still feeling you can do a lot of different things, and on fourth and one although you should just lower your head, but you know he's 175 pounds soaking wet, so he can't just lower his shoulders and pick up the yard on himself. But when he rolls out, I didn't like the fourth down calls. I like when you have a quarterback such as that. Put it in a four wide. If you're not going to run that power sweep, put it in a four wide and then let him pick a gap and pick up a yard. You know what I'm saying? Or spread him out, and that's what Tom Brady has always done, spread him out four wide and then quarterback sneak. You know, because now you 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 loosen up the defense when you got four guys, four wide out there. You don't put you bring in an extra tight end, and then try to, and then try to have them go off tackle. I I don't think that's especially against a team with like the Titans where they're bringing that defense. They're bringing they want to hit the quarterback. They want to they want to blitz their linebackers. So they're coming to tackle you. Spread them out. Now you have more cornerbacks in the game, less linebackers. Now that that opens it up. Now he can pick a lane versus him going off tackle right, and then he clogs up, and he try to cut back, and he's he's dead. I think that those play calls. I'll blame Lamar on the cutback. You don't cut back fourth and one, but the play call didn't kind of help him out because he's still trying to make plays. That's how I saw that game. Do you did you see it any different there? No, that's a great assessment. Um, I think a lot of, it, of the play calling was a little bit conservative, but at the same time, um, they were used to getting, you know, having their way during the regular season. And again, I think um, the absence of Mark Ingram was a, was a, was tremendous um, as, as far as the, the overall outcome of the game. Well, that, that's probably a factor, but I will, have, I will let you know that Gus Edwards did average six yards of carry in that game, three three carries for 20 yards. They kept trying to give it to him. Uh, Mark Ingram, he only had six, he had six carries for 20 yards. So just under four yards of carry. I just think again, those early turn, those, that early turnover, the early drop pass just kind of put the team again behind the eight ball. And when you're playing against a team like the Titans, who's just going to play consistent football. And that's what it, nothing spectacular except <laughs> Derrick Henry is spectacular in a way that he just, continues to plunge at you, continue to come at you, uh, continue to pound at you. And that's what eventually caused them, the guys, to kind of break. So, Brian Tannehill playing in a AFC championship game. Cannot believe it. So, oh, in the last two playoff games, Ryan Tannehill has had 170-plus yards passing. And that's not really great, but that's 
when you have that running game, you have that defense, that type of quarterback play is able to <laughs> you're able to win 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 with that type of game. What did you think about the 49ers and the, their domination of the Minnesota Vikings? Did you expect that? Is that how you saw that? Or was there something different that went on in that game? Because you took that the Vikings, actually, if I'm not mistaken. Correct. That was actually my upset special for the weekend. I expected um, Everson Griffin and Neil Hunter to get to the quarterback uh, in a similar fashion that they did the week previous, and that clearly did not happen. So giving Jimmy G a little bit more time to be effective um, and get that running game going um, was definitely the difference in the game. Um, Kirk Cousins kind of reverted back to being Kirk Cousins, and obviously we have uh, Nick Bosa and Armstead and just that wave of defensive linemen coming at you. Um, it, it's not quite the same as, you know, the uh, – one of the Saints defensive line coming at you. So um, he definitely was uh, pressured and, and rattled a little bit, never could get anything established with Dalvin Cook, and, uh, you know, had to had to try, uh, you know, tempting fate, throwing to the Richard Sherman side and, you know, got burned. So um, it, it, it turned out to be a perfect game uh, for the 49ers, um, almost a blueprint of how they want to win every time. So um, I definitely thought Minnesota had a little bit more – fight in them, especially with regards to getting to the quarterback, but without being able to do that, um, you know, the defensive line of the 49ers are just able to dictate what was going on pretty much all game long. So, kudos to them for winning the game, handily. They won the game convincingly because Minnesota is limited offensively. If Alvin Cook isn't running the ball effectively, they're limited. Cousins is limited. Cousins is a backup quarterback. I said this six weeks ago when I was chastised by my co-host. I told you that six weeks ago. He's limited. When you get the running game, you can win with, as you see, Ryan Tannehill, you can win with a subpar quarterback. Without the running game, it proves your limitations. They continue to try to run screen passes to try to get Dalvin Cook in the game. They must have ran six in the first three quarters of the game. Guys like, guys, that's not working. Stop it. They try to pitch it to Dalvin Cook. He, they, they dominate their, that 49ers offensive line or defensive line dominated the Vikings offensive line. They couldn't, the cut, one cut running scheme they were trying to use was completely non-effective. The 49ers look really good, man. Um, they look really good. They've had all season long. They're playing that that last place schedule to just dial in their technique. And he shows when they played a good team that that technique was still able to, to pull that through. It, it was dialed in, and they continue to play their the simple technique, fundamental football, run the ball, stop the run. When they have Jimmy G, who I have to say, Jimmy, I expect a lot more than Jimmy G. I think I resided in the – I I think a few weeks ago I kind of said, okay, Jimmy G is not going to be who I thought he was, but I still expected a lot more from Jimmy G. However, he makes some plays. He's he's been a serviceable quarterback. I thought he'd be good to great quarterback. 
and the Niners given every has given him every opportunity to be that good to great quarterback, although he's just been serviceable. However, nonetheless, when you continue to get opportunities, he's going to look decent. You're going to look better because again, you get more more cracks at the apple, right? So the the Niners played good football, man, and that's the way it is. It's going to be a great. Um, Green Bay is going to have to play a great game to beat the Niners on Sunday. So I'll leave I'll leave that at that. How about your boy Bill Bryan? It's a 24-0 lead against the Andy Reid and the Kansas City Chiefs, and is not able to complete that game. What's your thoughts on that situation? A horrible, man. It's it's terrible. Like, how can you possibly have a 24-point lead with three quarters to go and not find a way to hold on to that lead? Not only hold on to the lead and finish the game victorious, but by the end of the second quarter, you don't even have the lead anymore. <laughs> I've never seen anything like it in my entire life. I remember sitting here telling my wife, man, it is so terrible. I thought Kansas City was going to be in the Super Bowl. They're not going to win this game. Horrible. I was like truly sad for the Kansas City Chiefs. And it's like Bill O'Brien just, you know, just hit the latch and just opened up the door and just let the Bulls run through. I, I don't understand. They didn't try to run any clock. Their clock management was terrible. They couldn't decide if it was better to go for it and just put the dagger in their heart. And then, and then all of a sudden they, they decide that was a mistake, so they go for it on their own side of the, of the 50. Those two things. Like, what kind, of, what two, kind of play calling is that? Those and two then, plays then, right there. Those two plays right there, yeah. excuse me to cut you off. Those two plays right there is the reason he shouldn't have a job next year as a head coach for the Houston Texans. Those, I mean, okay, so you're up. You don't have the confidence in your team. You're up 21 nothing. Like really, it should be a skunk. Every everybody start finding things, different things to do on on that uh, on that afternoon because they're like, okay, this game's over. Yet mine, he Bill O'Brien says, hold hold my beer, and we're on their side of the field, fourth and one. Let's kick the field goal and not put the not put our foot on the throats of the Kansas City Chiefs. Let's kick the field goal. They get the ball back. The same, similar, very similar situation. Now they're up 24. Now they're up 24 to nothing on their side of the field. Now you want to put your foot on the throat of these guys on your side of the field and go for it? I mean, that that was a great play by Sorensen. Andy Reid game is looking after his buddy. Hey, I don't think that was such a bad call, you know, is in that situation. I would have made the same call. Andy Reid, be quiet. You're looking after your buddy. We, we, we clearly see that. But now you want to go. Now you want to be aggressive and, and put your foot on. Go for the juggler on your side of the field. Now you give. They stop him. Kansas City stops him. That was a great tackle. That have, that's what happens, fans. When you wrap up, it's not just trying to hit somebody. You actually wrap up. You make the tackle. He was shorter than the goal line. Now they're on the forty. Couple plays. Boom, boom, boom. They're in the end zone. Now the momentum swings back to Kansas, the home team, Kansas City. No clock management. Well, we know they couldn't run the ball anyway. I don't know where – I don't know why um, DeAndre Hopkins didn't have 56 
targets in that game because they their running game is kind of poor, kind of limited. Go to go to Hopkins. There's not many people who could stop them. One on one, double team, triple team, zones. There's not many people who can stop them. Go to Hopkins, but they just and rely. furthermore, Cam, and, and further and further to your point on that, this was the first time that they had my uh, perhaps. Uh, I don't want to say arch nemesis, but perhaps one of the most annoying players to me in the NFL, a healthy Will Fuller the fifth to stretch yeah. the field so that you can't double DeAndre and that you have to consider him a little bit of a threat, even giving your boy Phil some chance to get a little bit of run in. So, yeah. Your team is your team is 100% healthy at receiver to take advantage of that. Hey, hey, their, their game planning, Bill Bryant should not have a job today. He shouldn't have had a job. He shouldn't have rolled the plane home to Houston, but he should not have a job today. The play calling was terrible. The urge, sense of urgency was terrible. And again, as I stated early a few weeks ago, the Houston Texans win in spite of their coaching. That's one situation. One situation where I believe coaching is is actually hindering the, their team, and it's, it's too bad because they have some likable players on there. They have a good team. But they have been severely hindered by their coaching staff. And then kudos to the Kansas City Chiefs because they not only do they come back and win the game, they score forty-one unanswered. I, I have forty-one. I didn't. I didn't do any much homework this week, man. Has the team scored forty-one unanswered in a football game before? I mean, I, I haven't seen that. Not certainly not a divisional championship game or a divisional playoff game, has they? I mean, the Oilers. Didn't, it was that Oilers comeback. Or the Bills come back on the orders. That was a thirty-five to three comeback. It wasn't forty-one unanswered. It, that was r- ridiculous. Like they end up winning the game by fifty. They end up winning the game by twenty points when they're up. When they were up twenty-four to nothing. That's a, that's embarrassing. Yeah, there's, there's really nothing you can say about that. I mean, other than the fact that wow. You do not want to see Kansas City at full strength when they're focused and motivated because, wow, there's just really no stopping that. Very similar to what's that other team in the late 90s? Help me out here, Cam. The Minnesota. No, no. Minnesota. The greatest show on turf is oh, when it's boy. fully, when it's fully <laughs> when it's on, yeah. there is no stopping that. When the Kansas City Chiefs are on, there is no stopping that, man. Yeah, went down twenty-four to zero in the first quarter, and then went fifty-one to seven on those guys. Good lord! Yeah, it was, in it three was, quarters. It was it was pretty. It was a, it was a, it was good to watch them. The Kansas City side. I took Kansas City, so I was a little biased by that. But just as a Texas fan, they had to be disappointed in in that in in that results. Talking about disappointment. Um. Packers and Seahawks. Seahawks travel to Green Bay, playing a tough game. Help me understand now. We knew it was going to be a tough game. We knew, or I believed anyway, that Seattle was going to be facing an uphill battle in that game. And as it turned out, they were facing an uphill battle. But as they do in typical Pete Carroll fashion and typical Seattle Seahawks fashion, they keep the game close. They keep it close going into the fourth quarter, close enough to where you really believe that there's a chance that they can really do something. Why does Pete Carroll punt the ball inside the two minutes? Why does he punt the ball thinking that they can stop now? They haven't really consistently stopped Green Bay. 
Um, not enough that you give you confidence on, on stopping them. Why does he punt the ball and not go for it on fourth down? To give, if I'm gonna win, I'm gonna go out winning with my best guy. My best guy is Russell Wilson, who should conceivably number two in the play in the MVP race. I'm gonna go out with my best guy if I'm gonna go out and lose. Now nah, I'm not gonna turn it over to my defense and hope they stop him. Help me out, Cleveland. What's the logic behind that? Uh, not sure that I 100 agree with the call, but to play devil's advocate, I think that the, the logic behind it, and I somewhat agree with it, is that you really, if you go for it on fourth and eleven, then you're kind of saying, okay, Russ, you have to kind of make it all happen on this one play. If you punt the ball and you get the ball back, well, then he has a series and time and timeouts to kind of. No, 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 no. See, see, that's the philosophy. That's that's where the, you fail right there. If you punt the ball. And use your, you're going to use your timeouts right there. You're going to when you decide to punt, you're going to you know you have to you have to stop them, and you have to use your timeouts right there. So when you get the ball back, there is no timeout to use. It, it's it's not all or nothing at that time. It's should you get the ball back, you're going to get the ball back with 30 seconds on the clock. At best case scenario, when you at least go out. With using your, your guns blazing. Best case scenario, you you were going to get the ball back. Best case scenario, with a little bit more time on the clock than that, but if no, you're basically man. ending the game because you don't get the fourth eleven. So I I understand it from that perspective. Yeah, I I, I go for it. I, I go for it. I'm not I'm not hoping to get my quarterback back on the field. And it was if it wasn't under two minutes, well, it was two minutes twenty seconds or something like that. I'm not hoping to get my quarterback back on the field in that scenario. Um, they played a good game. The, the running game, obviously, they, they they were severely hampered by losing three running backs. You know, I'm not a, a huge Carson fan, but you you could have used him, um, like Penny, but he was out. Marshawn Lynch is uh to at to this point is a short yardage guy. Um, Homer, you got you got the best you could hope for out of Homer, I would suspect. You know, he's going to be on the team next year because of this, his performance. I'll give him that. But they were just uh, – their defense, they – Clowney, I don't know if Clowney comes back. They need some. They need a cornerback. They need to be able to stop somebody on the third down. They haven't been able to stop somebody consistently. And, and that's not only been on Sunday. That's been through the season. At least the last, at least the last six weeks, they having trouble stopping people on third downs. That's why I don't give it to my, I don't turn it over to my defense and say, please stop somebody this time. Please stop somebody with with the season on the line. Please stop somebody. Please stop Aaron Rodgers with the season on the line. Come on, I can't do that. At least I go out at fourth and eleven. Hey, Russell, do what you can do. Where is where is that super stud that they? Uh, they seem to have found last week who they targeted eight times. Where was he at? Um, I, I just think that was kind of a tough situation that they put that Pete Carroll put the team in, and I was a um, little little disappointed in that. Your thoughts, sir? Um, no, you, you make some very some very valid points. The best player on their team is Russell Wilson, so. Um, Living it or dying with Russell Wilson, there's no shame in that. That's actually how you should do it. Um, and, again, they played a very typical Seahawks game, like you said. They just dug themselves a hole a little bit too deep. Um, and given that secondary and given, like you said, who was on the other side, um, you know, you, you take your chances with, uh, you know, 
with, with your best hands. So from that perspective, absolutely. Um, they hadn't really shown an ability to stop anyone. Um, Trey Flowers needs to be, uh, you know, severely reprimanded for how he was playing defense out there on Devontae Adams. I don't, I don't want to say he's single-handedly caused for the day, but as far as I'm concerned, probably the biggest stacker that they lost that game. Um, when you start talking about today, being will he be back? That's up to him, really. We're going to give him enough. We're going to offer him enough money to stay if he wants to. Um, I don't believe in offering him Aaron Donald, Khalil Mack type money. If that's what he wants, then the door's right over there. Don't let it hit you on your way out. If he wants to settle down and be a little bit more pragmatic about it, there's a spot for him here. Um, otherwise, we use that cash and that draft pick to you know, rebuild and adjust on the fly and, you know, hopefully make things happen. Um, I would not be opposed to – What? I would not be opposed to, you know, opening up the offense a little bit more. I still get a little bit frustrated when, like you say, we have, uh, you know, short yards Marshawn and kind of during the headlights Travis Homer, why are you still a run-first offense? It's kind of, you know, you shouldn't really at that point be a run-first offense and certainly not with a quarterback as capable as, as Russell Wilson from a game manager at this point, right? As you said, second MVP. So what's the harm in kind of letting it loose a little bit? I mean, you know, sometimes they're just stubborn to a fault. You know, they, they lost to the game in Dallas like that last year. Just still well, trying to run the ball with – you can't run the ball. Man. They, they've already said you have to do something different. Their defense is dictating that. So why why be so hard-headed and stubborn about it? Because the talent isn't there in a, a wide receiver position. And this is what I've been trying to open your eyes to all season long. The talent just isn't there. Oh, no, 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 the no. That comparison was last year. Not not, the, not the this, year. this year. This year this year the wide receiver is just fine. Thanks so much. Thanks so much for asking. The Cleveland, the talent is there, man. Face it. Okay, so you you have a developing receiver. You picked up Metcalf. He had five targets on Sunday. You had your best target your best receiver on the game is a slot receiver. That's your best receiver is a slot receiver. So maybe you found what Maybe you found a, a a two. Now you need a one to to unleash Russell Wilson. That's that is why they continue to run the ball. That's I mean that philosophy is, is clearly understood. But they have they have a season to work through. Pete Carroll says he's excited. He says he feels like he's seeing some young things develop. Hopefully they can find a cornerback a to 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 shut down the number one receiver. Hopefully they can find another re- receiver to pair with these two guys that they do have today. And then they, the running back can get healthy. Again, I'm not a huge Chris Carson fan, but we know health and fumbles has been, has been a problem for him throughout his career. Penny also was hurt. They drafted him. You know, that's kind of a bad raw deal that they have three of their top running backs go down. I wonder if uh, – the guy they shipped off on oh, having a brain fart. The guy they shipped off to to Baltimore. I wonder if he could have played with them. Uh, if Alex Collins. I wonder if he could have played. I wonder if he's healthy. I wonder if uh, Bo Scarborough, who they shipped off to the Detroit Lions. I wonder if he could uh, another Alabama running back. I wonder if he could have played when everybody's trying to tell me that these are not the answer for the Seattle Seahawks. I wonder if those guys are healthy and I wonder if they could have played. Hmm. Just a thought there. But we'll see what the Seahawks do when they come back another season. Pete Carroll still seems to have the pulse of the locker room, has these guys fired up, and we'll see what they can do next year. Cleveland, let's take a break here before we talk about some of the other Hall of Fame inductees, and then we get into some college football real quick, and then we review our picks. So let's take a little break here, sir. 
Hall of Fame induct- coaches being inducted to the Hall of Fame this year. We know they're going to have 20 inductees, so there's still a lot more to go. Bill Cowher before Jimmy Johnson? Eh, I'm not even sure Bill Cowher, like you said, you need to convince me that Bill Cowher deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. I need I need some convincing of that. I mean, he took one team to the Super Bowl. He had, didn't coach anybody else, so we can't really say – that he can take talent and kind of build a unit, build a team, because he kind of walked into a really good situation, right? Um, I'm not sure. I, I'm, I'm not. I'm not sure. Tower, but definitely does definitely does not deserve to be in before Jimmy Johnson. And then why was Jimmy Johnson so surprised? Like what, Jimmy? You knew you were well deserving, and it was long overdue. Like what was all the emotion about? Like I was surprised by that. How about you? Well, a couple of things uh, in your statement, Cam. A, uh, Cal did coach two Super Bowls. He, he, I'm sorry? He, 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 I said he did coach in two Super Bowls. So. Okay, he lost to the Cowboys, yeah. Okay. Okay. That's a start. The, um, he wasn't really before Jimmy. It was a day before. And the only reason they did that was for TV so that he can be all suspenseful and, you know, watch him get all emotional and, and teary-eyed. And like you're saying – um, Jimmy had just, you know, after Jerry ran before him, he was like, wow, okay, well, I guess maybe my uh, contributions to the game just, you know, are not something that people, you know, appreciate. So I think he had basically become resigned to the fact that it wasn't going to happen for him. So it was kind of a little bit out of the blue for him. And, you know, Jimmy not really being a real emotional guy, that was a bit of a shock. Yeah, I, 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 was, I was thinking that I'm like, I was just like, Jimmy, why are you surprised about this? Like, you you well deserved. I mean, a lot of guys. Uh, he's been credited for changing the way guys scout teams. He's been tr- credited for the way that when you trade somebody, what you're trying to what you're trying to actually get for them. Before then, I think it was you trade somebody, you're just trying to get rid of that person. Now they trade the talent; they want to get something in return for the talent. And his his uh, his, his scouting process. It's kind of revolutionized the NFL. I'm, I was surprised by that he was surprised. Um, the Browns have a new coach. They have the offensive coordinator for the Minnesota Vikings. I mean, I'm not sure if that moves the needle. Um, what do you think? I don't think that really moves the needle, considering what the Vikings did. Uh, again, I'm not sending any interviews with these guys. I don't know them on a personal level. I don't know the excitement that they bring in and how they command the locker room or the, even their team. But just outside looking in, I don't think this moves the needle. Your thoughts? Uh, outside looking in, don't see how that's a better hire than Eric Bieniemy. So, um, you know, you ask yourself whether there are other, you know, candidates that perhaps had a more impressive resume and could do better. And I think it's a, you know, a, a clear yes in that in that perspective. So, um, going with him was a little bit a little bit of a, a shocker to me, especially considering how they underachieved this year in what the level of expectation is going forward. I don't, I don't see this person um, being able to create that type of environment in, in Cleveland, but who, who am I to say that just an observation, I think they should have went with the enemy to be perfectly honest. So you bring up specifically the enemy. Let's talk about that for a minute. Every enemy 
is the offensive coordinator to Andy Reid. We know if – what do we know about Andy Reid? He's an offensive coach. What do we know about Andy Reid? He's an innovative offensive coach. So just as you see Andy Reid sitting on the sidelines when the defense is on the field talking to his quarterback, it can, the argument can be made that what really is the enemy doing? That's like being the defensive coordinator to Bill Belichick. Like, what really are you doing if you have this guy in front of you? Sure, you're going to pick up some stuff by osmosis, right? But what really are you doing if Andy, we know Andy Reid is the guy. We know Andy Reid is the innovative guy. So what really um, contributions are you making? Is that fair enough? I suppose, but then when you listen to Patrick Mahomes and other players around, they give uh, Eric Bieniemy a lot more credit than you're giving him with regards to running the offense. I'm not so taking. I'm not. Depends. I'm not taking. It, I'm not taking credit away. That is exactly I'm, what you just did. You just you just said it's it's similar to the defensive coordinator when Bill Belichick's the coach. Is it and not? Bill Belichick called, called all the defensive players. It, is it not? Well, it, the, well, that's let's, exactly let's why I don't like have this. Any if, if everybody, exactly if everybody in New England, if everybody in New England's defense said, you know, hey. Um, it's really Bill that does everything, and we're not going to give Flores any credit whatsoever. That's exactly why I don't have any any confidence in Flores. Exactly the reason. So it's kind of very similar. I, he, come on, man. How are you going to hire the, the defensive coordinator for the <laughs> New England Patriots and expect anybody have anybody who with knowledge of the football game to have any confidence in this? Because again, just as I stated, I mean it's the same kind of parallel there. So I. I'm just not. Not say he's undeserved. Not, not, not sold on. Not sold on the enemy. Okay, you, you made that point. That, I'm, not, I'm not. I'm not saying he's undeserving. I'm just saying it, it. Again, when you sit in the locker room, or when you sit in the coaches' meetings, and when you sit, is he commanding the locker room? Is he commanding the 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 team? The offensive meetings. The offensive team meetings. Is he commanding the interview process? Like those are legitimate questions. Black, white, or indifferent. Those are legitimate questions I would have when I'm sitting down across the guy and kind of looking at, oh, you were the offensive coordinator for the Kansas City Chiefs. Tell me kind of what you you're doing differently than what uh, Andy Reid is known to do. That's what I would. I mean, that's what I, that's what I want to know. But I would say I'm not bowled over now by the offensive innovation of the Minnesota Vikings. I mean, maybe he was. Maybe he that he did a hell of a job being hampered with his backup quarterback. Uh, maybe that's what the other guys are seeing. I don't know, but just kind of looking at it that way, maybe that's what they're seeing. Is like, like shit. If he did that with Kirk Cousins, what could he do with uh, Baker Mayfield? Baker Mayfield. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Okay. So I'm okay. just. I'm just saying. I'm not. I'm just. Just saying. So we're like your boy OJ saying. I'm just saying. Um, your thoughts on. We had the national football game on on Monday night. Joe Burrow or Trevor Lawrence? Now we know Lawrence has still has a year a uh, year to go in Clemson. Burrow's going to be coming out this year. If you had your option, well, who would you take, Burrow or Lawrence, at this point? Uh, tough call. I mean, Burrow has had such a magical season that I know that most people would kind of be leaning that direction. But in all seriousness. I think Trevor Lawrence has a more impressive body of work and so has one year left to go. So it's kind of hard to say that you wouldn't lean Trevor Lawrence's direction, but, you know, Joe Burrow has the hardware to prove it. Uh, an undefeated season, a Heisman International Championship. So, and it's not like uh, he wasn't making throws. He was, he was especially 
towards the end of the season, I mean, he was good for five, you know, somewhere between five and eight touchdowns a game. So, you know. That guy was put, he's put, he's throwing a ball that are perfectly placed. Like, it's weird that a, a guy come, kind of comes out of nowhere. Like, he wasn't in the Heisman hunt coming into the season, right? Is actually a transfer. But he, the way he's placing these balls, man, it's like, woof. That's very impressive. But then as you think about you think about uh, Bill Parcells' line, like you want to see a quarterback to have upwards of 30 starts in college football to be able to prove and understand and prove that he's, he is what you see. He hasn't had those starts. So that's kind of a question a question mark there, right? But then again, on the flip side, he, like you say, the, all the accolades he's obtained this, this season, six touchdown passes, et cetera, et cetera, it's uh, been pretty impressive. Cleveland, let's take a quick break here, big guy. When we come back, we're going to talk about some NBA topics, fans, give you this date in history. But Cleveland, let's take a break, my man. Yes, sir. Yeah, bro, man. He looks impressive, but that would be the one question. Um, and maybe that's an antiquated philosophy, Bill Parcells, the 30 starts. But not at all. You know, you know what the part that I that I just thought about it when I when, we, when you went to break, man. He's got Matt Leinart syndrome, man. I mean, those those receivers are just are no, the, are just so no, big. No, no, oh, no, for sure. no, no. He's got Matt Leinart no, syndrome, man. No, what's what's no, Matt Leinart syndrome? Explain no, it to me. No. Explain Matt Leinart syndrome. Matt Leinart had Reggie Bush, Lindell White. He had, I mean, Mike Williams in college was. Bigger, he wasn't faster than nobody, but he was bigger. He and he got open. Um, you're saying that the the talent he has around him makes it easy for him to drop the ball in the in the bucket like he's doing. Okay, he's, thanks so much. He, he's thanks making so much. he's making no. I disagree with that one. Oh my goodness, I disagree with it's that not, one. It's, it's, not, it's, it's also that and 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 the time. He has the time to do it, man. Those those receivers are Chase and those guys Chase and Jefferson. Those those are those are the best receivers LSU's ever had. Never mind well, your OBJ and Jarvis Landry and all those okay, guys. These okay, guys okay, are better okay, than those okay, guys. Okay, okay, okay. Where's the ball at though when he when they're catching the ball? Where's it? Where's it at? It's not like they're they're making. It's not like they're making spectacular catches. They're making everyday running the mill catches. That that balls in in places where they can catch and run, they look over the shoulder, the ball's right in their hands. They're not making one handed catches. They're not making diving at acrobatic catches. You know what I'm saying? They're making catches in rhythm, in motion. You, you follow what I'm saying? They're the way what I've seen from him, and I don't watch a lot of college football, I'll be honest with you. So I saw his big game. Um, obviously, the playoff games. I think I saw two, maybe two games during the regular season. But just and that's what I'm looking at is the ball placement when he's throwing the ball. Where is that ball at? And again, yeah, those you're you're right. Those guys are great. I'm not taking anything from the receivers. They're awesome. They get open, but the placement of the passes is why I say he's different than Liner. Um, but again, I'd go. The only my one question I would have from him is he hasn't had that many starts. And to your point, the offensive line, I mean, even even uh, the the running back uh, coming out the backfield, 
when he's throwing these short routes, they're in position for him to catch a run. It's not like they're having to reach back. They're not having to go over their shoulder. You know what I'm saying? The placement has been um, has been impressive to me. That's that's where I think he separates himself. Matt Liner, I thought Matt Liner was going to be good. Um, I thought he was going to be good, and then you saw he got to the league, and when that talent wasn't around him, man, it, Matt Liner also didn't wasn't a football guy. He played quarterback. For the preparation, the pre- true. The preparation wasn't there, and when you need, and you know, when you need to be a little bit more serious, you need to be a leader. You didn't have those uh, intangibles. He didn't have those skills. He just always was, uh, you know, physically better than everyone else. So, the question yeah. when when Matt Leiter came back, and and I, I didn't go to college, so I can't say I understand. But when he came back, his senior year, I think it was. Did he yeah. come out of junior senior? He came back his senior year to take ballroom dancing. Like, like, come, come on, dude. Like, what, what are we fucking doing here? Like, do you want to be a quarterback? Do you want to play in the NFL or not? Like, you know. No, 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 no. He, he, came, he, came back, he came back to do the back-to-back thing, and you have to take a class. So, fuck it. Why not just take that? I you mean, know, come, that, that, but, that, no, 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 that, no, 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 no,
So easily top five on anybody's list, yeah. I mean, it was unquestionable. But then again, that just kind of told me kind of as a football man where where you kind of saw yourself. That's That was my feedback online. All right, buddy. Let's speed through these picks. We're running way late. Let's speed through these picks. Um, then we'll get to our in, in, uh, NBA segment. NBA. Uh, the people at What's Good Sports want to want to talk to you, talk to the fans, and make sure you guys tune into the website. Every Cleveland, have you seen the What's Good Sports website? Yeah, it's beautiful, man. Lots of uh, positive stories and lots of great content. Um, the people they told me uh, personally, make sure you guys go visit the website. So please, when you get a chance after the show, check out the What's Good What's Good Sports dot com website. All right, fans, welcome back here. So let's re- and quickly review our picks. Not a lot of games to go through, but confidence picks. I had 11 points, Cleveland, to your four points. You missed three out of four games, Minnesota, Seattle, and Baltimore. I missed Baltimore, and that was two through five of our picks. So 11 to four allowed me to make some ground up on the season here in the playoffs. Picks against the spread. It was three to one. Again, I had Baltimore, Kansas City, and Green Bay. You had Minnesota, Seattle, and Houston. Only one of those worked out. Um, I think it was the Seattle game, if I'm not mistaken. I don't know how the score sheet in front oh. of me, but forgive me. Baltimore um, worked out for you. Okay. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Just barely. Just that just barely worked out. Um, so coming into this week, we have everything's on board. The only thing different, I got KC, you have KC. Uh, we both got San Francisco. Only thing different is you have the uh, Green Bay plus seven, so you're expecting a close game there, expecting Green Bay to keep it close. We'll see how that works out. One of um, our confidence picks for the playoffs. Never mind that. Scratch that. Something ain't right here. My numbers ain't right, so I'm not going to ignore that, fans. We'll have to update you guys with our confidence pick for the playoffs next week. We have a week between the the championship games and the Super Bowl. But Cleveland, on this date in history, Alpha Kappa Alpha, first black Greek sorority, was founded in 1908. I'm sure you heard that before. Also today, what is today, January 15th, Martin Luther King birthday, Civil Rights Leader, born 1929, all the way 1968. So Martin Luther King, bless Martin Luther King. Injustice anywhere is injustice everywhere. One of the favorite quotes that he always says. Um, again, on this date, 1998, James Farmer received the Presidential Medal of Freedom, the highest award a citizen can receive. That was on 1998, so that's pretty cool. As we slide into our NBA topics for this week, big guy, there's been some conversation amongst the media here in Los Angeles about the Clippers, the kind of malaise that they're going through this season, and then that would automatically turn to their leader and kind of question the leadership that Kawhi Leonard brings to that squad. We all know he's not a great player, right? The top few players in the league. Nobody can argue that. 
But the argument is, what kind of leader is he? Does he make the other guys better? And I had a chance to answer, to ask him that specific, specific question. My exact answer, or question was, how would you characterize his leadership? And he talks about how he's verbal telling teams what they need to do, what, what, um, what positions they need to be in, not to get lazy. They have to go through the process. And he likes to lead by example. Is that what you expected here from Kawhi Leonard? 100% camp. Um, you know, I don't really think that Kawhi Leonard has a leadership style. Oh, you're right. What's the I rest think, of these guys? Yeah, I am. I think Kawhi Leonard shows up. It's funny, what he does. It's, it's funny that Laker fans has this, has the same thought process. But, okay, continue on, sir. I think that Kawhi Leonard shows up, does what he does in tremendous fashion, um, and from that perspective, kind of sets an example for other players if they want to follow along. Um, he's not a vocal leader. He's not charismatic. He's not going to bring the team together other than the fact that you can count on him. Let's I, and, and please don't mistake that. You can't count on Kawhi Leonard to be there with his lunch fail to do work in a very serious manner every single game. Every minute that he's out there, he's giving you his 110%. He's not taking days off. He's not taking minutes off. So don't don't get it twisted there. However, if you're looking for someone to pull someone aside and kind of tell them what they're doing wrong or give them encouragement or kind of be that mentor, big brother type of figure, that's not your guy. You need other players, veterans or other more charismatic players on your team to do that because he's not going to be the guy to do that in the same way that Tim Duncan wasn't the guy in San Antonio to do that really. And I think it gets a lot of his style from his mentor, Tim, to be quite honest. He's, he's, he has a small market mentality, but he plays in LA. Oh my goodness gracious. <laughs> was, it, was, it, was that a broad sweep of the right hand coming from the northwest down to Kawhi Leonard in Southern California? My goodness gracious. Kind of like I see it, man. Leader by example, that's what I expected here. That's what I see on the that's what I see. Is he the care the, the in talking to the team they say he's actually a lot more vocal than what others may suspect or what they have expected. So I'll buy that. That's what they tell me. And that's I'll, I'll believe and trust what they tell me. Is he going to berate them on the sideline? Is he going to get in your face like a Patrick Beverly? No, that's definitely not a style. Is he going to unite? I think being a, coming to court, bringing your lunch pail, showing that you're there every moment and you're going to be there during the tough games is a leadership trait in itself. That's what I believe. That is leadership by example. Is there a better type of leadership than that, leading by example? Because you want everybody there. You want everybody on time. You want everybody motivated. You want everybody ready to go. And these are grown men that he's dealing with, so it's not college. that you know, you're trying to drag some people along. It's being show that you're going to be there every day, and then if I show you I'm going to be there every day, that's your force Cleveland to want to be there every day. Kind of like when I do this show, I got when I show Cleveland that I'm ready every week. I'm here. I'm ready to go. He 
follows along with that. I don't have to tug on his tape to get him here. I don't have to tug on a walker to make sure he gets there, do I? It's like, you know I'm going to be there, so you know you need to be ready. Is that not how it goes? You know, and I, and I, I like the point that you made there, uh, Cam. And that probably plays a lot into his leadership style. Because typically the best player on your team is the most talented player on your team. He's not the most talented player. He works the hardest, and he gets the most out of what he has. But a lot of other superstar players don't really have to work as hard as the other players because they are just that talented. And so their work ethic can, you know, kind of, you know, for lack of a better word, go up and down like a yo-yo, and they can still, you know, get the same results on the court, whereas other players can't really do that. So because Kawhi is a self-made man, and, you know, basketball acumen is very high, but has never, you know, up until recently been just the end-all, be-all in, in basketball terms, it leaves more to that type of leadership style. It does not mean it's always effective, and that's what everybody needs. Okay, that's fair enough. So that's I, I, just, again, just to kind of put a cap on this, we're going to see how this leadership, how this specific leadership style plays out through the remainder of the season. And it's going to be very interesting that these Clippers, whether they – the injuries, the lack of continuity because of the lack of practice, the way the players aren't um, getting – finding, finding the uh, – um, they're not able to adjust to each other because everybody hasn't been there. That lack of continuity once again. They need to get this fixed. I mean, it's, it's here it is, middle of February. If this goes on for another three or four weeks, this is going to lead into the playoffs, no doubt. Can they correct this within the next three or four weeks is, is kind of the thing I'm looking at because it has to get corrected or else I think there's going to be disappointment here on the other team in Southern California. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Michael Porter Jr., who I subsequently I thought the Clippers passed up on and made a, made a major faux pas in their drafting last year, not picking up Michael Porter Jr. with that number 14 pick. What's your thoughts on Michael Porter Jr. thus far this season, and do you think he should be starting for the Denver Nuggets? Uh, very happy for the kid. I was fortunate enough to see him play in high school here in the uh, 206. Uh, that team went undefeated. He's probably the, if not the best, the second best high school player I've ever seen in person. Um, so I know what he's capable of. It's great to see him healthy and finally get an opportunity to showcase kind of, you know, what his potential is. Do I think he should be starting? Um, I don't think that he should be starting on that team. I think if he was on a team that was a little bit lower in the standings um, or a little bit more in a developmental um, process that he should be starting. But on the second best team in the West, it's kind of hard to find minutes for him. I know that when they give him minutes, um, he tends to make the most of them, especially recently. But um, I think the example that most readily comes to mind when I think about him in this kind of situation would be more like a Jermaine O'Neal in Portland early mm. in uh, 2000 mm. where mm. he may have been really ready to play, but they were just so deep and 
they were the stakes that they were playing for was so high it was just hard for to just throw a guy out there and just say okay yeah you can start get minutes mm. yeah sure and then it's kind of hard to find the right minutes because all the games are so important so um i'm glad to see that he makes the most of it when he when he has the opportunity but i don't think that that's a team that he should be necessarily starting on wow jermaine o'neill um mm. I think, wow, I'm trying to say that situation might have been a little different, but that those Portland, they were competing for, they were in top four in the West. They were, they were top four in the West, no, no doubt, just as the Denver Nuggets are. Michael Porter Jr., 19 points, eight rebounds tonight on 27 minutes. He's, he's, his minutes are picking up. He's still consistently putting in buckets. I like to see some – more aggression from him on defensive side of the ball because he has the length. Um, I like to see maybe this will take a year or two for it to kind of click. That KD when he went to Golden State that first year in Golden State where he was actually playing defense, he wasn't doing that at Oklahoma City. If Kevin Porter get to that point right there, oh my goodness, this guy is going to be uh, unbelievable. But you know that defense when Kevin when Kevin Durant decided to turn it on that first year in Golden State, he he was. Uh, you hadn't seen that. Nobody had seen that actually because he didn't do it. So I like to see I like to see him get to that point because you're not playing a lot of minutes. You can expend your energy. I don't know if health is the issue there, but you can you can you know give that energy, exert yourself. So I like to see some more of that. Uh, speaking of exerting yourself, will we ever see the number one draft pick of the league exert himself this season? Rumors are that he might show up uh, in sometime this week or next week, slightly just before the All Star break. But what's your thoughts on Zion Williamson playing basketball for the New Orleans Pelicans? Do you expect to see it this year, or do you want to see it this year, or should you take the rest of your your thoughts, Cleveland? Uh, you know, initially I was more in the uh, red shirt camp. Um, you know, it's been this long to this point. Um, if you're so worried and you're babying to this extent, why throw him out there at all? You know, just let him, uh, you know, do the, the Ben Simmons thing, let him do the, you know, the thing where you just register your, you know, your first year and, you know, get acclimated to the league. Um, but I've wavered on that a little bit. I've kind of changed direction a little bit midstream. And I, I think that, you know, getting a little bit of a taste of the NBA is not a bad thing. So, um, He's not going to be the player that he's ultimately going to be this season. So why not see what he's capable of? And why not let him see what he's capable of and what the league is really like? I mean, practice is practice. Uh, you know, they keep talking about the summer league like he just ripped up the summer league. It's like, dude, why are you even mentioning that? I mean, nobody plays hardcore in the summer league. It's just, you know, for players that kind of get their win and kind of get developed. But they make it seem like it's just this huge thing. No, watch well, play against uh, other professional players and, you know, NBA-caliber players and see what it is that you could do. I mean, if they're not worried about injury, I would just say there's only, what, 30 games left? Let's see what he's, let's see what he's made after these first, you know, these next 30 games. Yeah, I'm with you there. I, I disagree on your point within the Summer League, having been there and watched the guys compete in the Summer League. The guys are competing because a lot of guys are looking for opportunities. So they are competing. However, it's not it's not professional. It's professionals, but it's not the pros 
the starters, the league starters, if you will. The guys are competing yeah, for the one, the that, one position. That's, that's, so that's the talent what level, I mean. Yeah, there's a difference in the talent level there. Um, I, I want to see him play. I don't think he should waste the season when he can play. Now, a couple nights ago, they were showing highlights of him doing uh, between the legs, windmill dunks. Um, and the question was raised, well, if he can do this, why aren't you playing? And I want to see him get – don't waste a year just sitting on your ass. I like to see him get in shape to kind of get that feel of the NBA so at least we don't want to make this season a wash, but next year we can you can come back kind of ready to perform, if you will. You know, next year we see you come back understanding what the playing in the league is like because you have got your feet wet for 25 to 30 games. So I'd like to see that, and then next year we can kind of, okay, now let's build around this or let's build upon this and kind of get a better understanding of what he brings to the table, and he'll have a better understanding of what he can do in the league. So I, I'm not with the city, and I'm not resting. I'm not with the resting, just kind of as I mentioned with Matt Liner's situation. If you can play, get in there and play and stop dilly-dallying around and, and kind of let's see what you got. And then as from the New Orleans Pelicans' Uh, point of view, they should want to see what he has. They want to see if he can play, if he can continue this. They should want to see this. So that's something um, I'd be interested to see how he plays and when he finally gets in. And then the his teammates, I'm sure they want to see him play as well and kind of see what the, what all the hype is about. So, fans, I want to thank you guys for tuning in once again. Cleveland, thank you for your time. Thank you for your uh, support as always. Please, fans, make sure you hit the make sure you hit the subscribe button. Subscribe to our show, rate and review our podcast. It's very important to us, and in our rankings within the various podcast forms that you are listening to us on. Again, whether you're listening to us on Rise Radio, shout out to us on, on TuneIn. Whether you listen to us on Apple, Google, TuneIn Podcast, Spotify, Breaker, Stitcher, Radio Public. Be sure to rate and review our show. I appreciate it, Cleveland. I'm sure you appreciate it, right? Absolutely, I do. Once again, one thank you guys for your time. Cleveland, let the people know before we let you go where they can find you. They can find me at Cleveland Wonder on Twitter and Cleveland still on Instagram. On Instagram, you can find Cam, Voice Up Fan. Also on Twitter, it's What's Good in Sport or type in Voice of the Fans. You'll find me there too. As always, fans, I want to thank you guys for making our voice your choice. We'll talk to you next week. Cleveland, thanks for thank you. Have a great night. Thank you for making our voice your choice.